This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Coal production on federal lands makes up about 40% of total production here in the U.S. right now. But a move by the White House may very well put the clamps on that number and shrink it in the future. President Obama has halted virtually all new coal mining leases on public lands. In the meantime, the Department of the Interior will study the effects, both economic and environmental, on the process and then potentially make changes. To take a look at this move, we welcome in our friend Eric Ortz, Wharton Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. He's also Faculty Director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership and author of the book called Business Persons, A Legal Theory of the Firm. He joins us here in the studio, and joining us on the phone is Ian Lang, who is an Assistant Professor of Economics at the Colorado School of Mines. Ian, thanks very much for joining us on the phone today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You got it. Eric, as always, great to see you. Great to see you, too. Thanks very much for coming in. Uh, The basis of this move really uh, is tied back to President Obama's push on climate change. And this is something that we kind of expected probably was going to happen at some point, one or another, that he was going to address these leases. Correct, Eric? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, he uh, gave a signal at the State of the Union uh, address. Uh, that he was going to, quote, change the way we manage our oil and coal resources so that they better reflect the costs they impose on taxpayers and the planet. And so he didn't waste any time in giving a uh, very hard signal about what that's going to look like. Well, the question, I guess, then becomes is because these leases will be reworked to some degree, it doesn't sound like the leases are going away. It's just they're being managed in a, in a different in a different manner. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, the uh, the the leases that are already given are basically a twenty years supply of coal. So this isn't stopping anything that's currently under lease. And in fact, in two thousand twelve, I believe that we hit a peak, and in two thousand thirteen, there was a very large amount of new leases that were put out. So. Uh, what's what's really happening here is that there's a pause that's been put on the leasing program, and that's in response to a couple of things. As you mentioned, there's the Paris Agreement and the general mm-hmm. legacy that President Obama wants to leave in terms of uh, climate change policy in the United States. Uh, there's also lawsuits that have been brought against the Bureau of Land Management, which is uh, these lawsuits were brought by some environmental groups, and they made the argument that the last uh, – um, environmental impact statement, which is required for major federal actions under the uh, under NEPA or the National Environmental Protection Act, had not been done since 1979. And uh, those did not include the impact on climate about mm-hmm. these leases. And so you have lawsuits, you had uh, environmentalists also supporting an argument that you should stop subsidizing uh, coal production. So whether or not you think you should put a uh, there's a, uh, you should put a, an additional price on on coal and on oil. There have been the argument that these are subsidies essentially because we haven't revisited the program, and so uh, that's essentially what's happened. There's a pause, as the Secretary of Interior had, has put it on the on this process. There's going to be a review, and then we'll see what happens. It could be um, could be that there will be actually a change leasing process. Mm-hmm. About 90% of these leases are basically not bid. 
So maybe there'll be a change in how the bidding process uh, will work. Maybe there will be a cost of carbon that will be put on a per, per ton basis mm-hmm. for uh, for the right to take out uh, coal from federal lands. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what the uh, what that what what the uh, EP, what the prop what the secretary what the Department of Interior sorry says mm-hmm. about that. Ian, what what yeah. has been this process like out in Colorado, which is obviously one of the focal focal points of this whole issue? What, I'm sorry, say again. What is the the process meeting? So a number of people have these federal leases out here in Colorado and Wyoming. The the Powder River Basin, which is mostly Wyoming and, and Montana, is, is the um, sort of largest area of coal production in the yep. U.S. And it's been called one of the top three mines in the world. Um, so it's extremely cheap to uh, to produce from, regardless of the the federal leasing um, part of it. Um, partially because it's a surface mine, and a lot of things out east are are underground mines. Well, and is is the concern there? Because one thing that that has been written about quite a bit has been the kind of the health of the coal industry right now. We talked oh, okay. we talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago in terms of of West Virginia and some of the other states back east. How healthy is the coal industry in Colorado and Wyoming right now? Oh well, actually, they're the low cost producers uh, in the U.S. So I would say you know relatively they're healthy. I mean, obviously their biggest consumer has been sort of um, declining in, in use in the last five years, that being the electricity industry. Uh, natural gas and renewables really have eaten into the, the market for coal-fired electricity. Um, and so actually I think that this leasing pause may help um, some of the, the coal mines out east and in the Midwest um, is that, you know, you just you know you won't have new supply coming on mm-hmm. in the near future, and so it just allows people to potentially firm up their prices or not have this expectation that, you know, what else is going to try to, you know, be thrown into this market um, uh, and that's already sort of depressed. What, what is the percentage of, uh, of mines, if you, if you know, that are, that are on public lands right now? Uh, out here, yeah, it's a high percentage. I mean, I don't remember if the number is 60 or 70, but anyways, it's a sub- significant percentage of the, the coal um, that's produced out west here is on federal lands, whereas yeah. uh, out east in, in the Midwest, it's, uh, it's very, it's, you know, insignificant. I think the figure I saw is 40% of right. western, uh, public, western coal production is, um, is from public lands. And I guess in some respects, the, the, the mining industry is, has gone up and down like a lot of the energy sector right now. And, and certainly there have been uh, stories written, uh, Ian, about uh, companies that have had to file for bankruptcy. Uh, certainly this is, you know, has probably cost some people some jobs. Has there been, a, a, a at this point, uh, any kind of uh, of significant effect on the economy in Colorado? No, no. I, would, I mean, there are obviously towns that are um, in the uh, western um, part of Colorado that are are very coal based. Um, but it, you know, as was said, the, these coal leases that are already in product, already in use, are not being stopped. So they'll continue to go. So, and there's even some discussion that some of the leases that have been sort of applied for already will go through. Um, so this is all, you know, the potential is three or four years down the road when somebody may have put in a bid, mm-hmm. um, you know, over the next one or two years to start something and it didn't happen. Although, again, given the current market conditions, it's not quite clear that, you know, a lot of people were excited about putting in bids, um, uh, you know, in the next two or three years. Eric, what's your what's your feeling on, on how this will all play out with the the government over the next several months as as this investigation kind of goes forth and and realistically, what's your hope 
going forward, if we're looking out 10, 20 years, potentially to you know wh- what this what this program will look like. Well, I think that uh, one thing they will probably have happening is that there is going to be a hard look at what the leasing policy actually is. And some of the I'm not, I'm, I'm not, some of the estimates I've seen is that the coal companies are getting a pretty good deal. Yeah. So if you look, uh, I think the last royalty payment uh, amount was is set at 12.5 percent, and that was in 1976. So that compares to 18.75 percent that is charged for oil leases. So there's a general question from the point of view of the public fisc. This is government land, and then the question is, what is the public getting for these leases. And so um, as part of that, you have this new issue of climate change, really, that has, I think, uh, galvanized many people. We just have the Paris Agreement, as you mentioned mentioned earlier. I I think that's going to stay relatively um, on the agenda in the U.S. public. Uh, We we see public opinions, public opinion about climate science being being right, uh, acceptable, and and people wanting something to be done about that is increasing. So that, I think, will mean that you're going to see some pressure on the price uh, on how much is charged uh, and how then how much the government gets out of that. But from a climate policy perspective, the objective is to better approximate the actual external, external costs yeah. of coal production on the climate. So there are two different ways of looking at that. You increase that cost, and yes, you're going to have some hits on the coal industry, and that's why we saw, I think, Arch Coal went out of yeah. business, just uh, uh, the second biggest coal company in the United States declared bankruptcy. Now, that's partly because of the other uh, uh, some other policies that the Obama administration has been uh, has been moving, but I think that's the overall objective is to try to uh, from uh, try to uh, try to have an accurate assessment of what the cost, what the true cost of coal is or oil, also if you throw that into the mix, uh, on when you when you when you take into account, into account climate change uh, consequences, and, and that would obviously affect the bottom line of, of these companies going forward, uh, having to basically pay in what it sounds like is a, an extra cost for the effect on the on the environment. Yeah, and if you look, I would say there's probably a consensus, uh, regardless of their of politics or whatever, among environmental economists who would say that the optimal solution to the climate change problem is that you put a a cost on that external uh, burden. Mm-hmm. So if uh, you have some energy sources like coal or oil that cause uh, have an external effect of causing climate change long term. Then you estimate that cost. I think the government has currently put that at $39 a ton, but there's a lot of debate about how do you figure out what that number is. Mm-hmm. And then that internalizes the cost so that what, what you effectively do then is you encourage, incentivize other kinds of energy sources, uh, solar, wind, new nuclear, uh, et cetera, that are, not, that are climate neutral or climate uh, uh, friendly for the most part. And that will – you'll eventually uh, most efficiently reach uh, the objective of trying to level off your greenhouse gas emissions. So it, that's the that's kind of the big picture here. Isn't there also a concern besides just the, the issue of climate change, the, the issue of the extraction of this coal from the ground and what this does to the ground, uh, you know, over the course of 100, 200 years? I mean, I, I – you know, my uh, mom's family is from Pittsburgh, so you know every time we would go west to visit the family, you'd see these. You know, these strip mines are all over the place yeah, out well, there. A little bit. I different come from flavor. not far from you. I, yeah. I come. I grew up in eastern, southeastern Ohio, 
And I remember going out and you'd see see the uh, silver spade and these massive uh, earth moving machines, et cetera. So, so yes, I think there's a there is that's part of the issue. Um, um, uh, there is a question of how how whether and one 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 creative idea, and I don't know if this has been taken seriously, but if you actually open up the leases for these federal lands, it could be that you have environmentalists coming together and saying, hey, we'll buy up that rights, these mm-hmm. rights, and preserve the land. So you could see a market effect if you, if you uh, open up some of, these, uh, some of these markets a little bit more, more widely. Now, I'm not sure if that's, uh, that's, uh, that's effective, but you're right to, uh, you're right to raise that, uh, your, that general question, and maybe... Um, Maybe Ian Lang uh, might know some uh, better. I, I don't know the Colorado case on the ground as well as I know Southern Ohio. Ian? Yeah, no. Um, I, there's clearly are potential tailings of, um, you know, some of the heavy, met, heavy metals that come up when you, when you dig. And I know that a lot of uh, coal mines um, will sort of take back some of the coal ash from the um, power plants that after the, the leftover has been burnt and then put that back as part of the remediation mm-hmm. for land there. And then that's, I mean... So the coal sort of came out of the ground with, say, with some of these heavy metals in it, gets burnt, and then those ashes come back and get put in there. Um, and the mines are particularly unhappy that they have to report how much of these heavy metals come back in because they say, look, the, the, the coal was here before. We took it out. It got burned. We brought you know, part of it back, and we have to report like, what we brought back. And so they get frustrated with something like that. But sure, I mean, these, there are these other, other impacts. Um, if I may just talk, I think you mentioned, asked about the, the 10 to 20 years picture for coal. Yeah. And I think that's really driven by natural gas. I mean, it's everywhere yeah. in the world seems like they're flush with natural gas. And that's really what's hurting um, the coal industry. It's just, you know, there's no place where people are, I would say, you know, kind of, or it's tough to find people that are excited about building new coal-fired power plants. Natural gas is really cheap. Uh, natural gas power plants are much less expensive on a um, capital cost basis. You can sort of build them quicker. They ramp up and down more easily. Um, and so the, the bigger picture going forward for coal is, is natural gas prices ever going to turn back up? Well, and you you led me right into my next question, oh, <laughs> which was it was perfect because of the fact that natural gas prices are are really low right now, uh, and that certainly will make a lot of people that that own these plants think, Eric, about the fact that they don't need to go back. They don't. I mean, if you're going to build a a plant of some kind, you want to do it with natural gas right now instead of coal. Well, Ian is absolutely right that that's the uh, major economic driver of the uh, problems in the in the coal industry right now. We have a boom in natural gas production that's been enabled by the new uh, fracking technologies, and there are some environmental concerns about that technology. But there's no doubt that there's uh, uh, there's a huge amount of uh, natural gas produ- production. One of the putting back into the frame of climate change. Uh, uh, many environmental scientists see that as a positive move because mm-hmm. uh, natural gas also has some climate uh, externalities, but not as they're not as severe as coal. Uh, and so, uh, one way to look at that is that that's a positive change because you're moving to a more climate-friendly gas or, or energy source that's mm-hmm. being used by power plants, with the idea that that's an intermediate step toward moving toward even cleaner. Uh, uh, even cleaner sourcing. Well, and I guess the the other part to this is the fact that we are kind of in an election season, and the, as you said, this is a this is kind of a legacy issue uh, for President Obama. Uh, the question then becomes: Is you know how much does this carry on post twenty sixteen? 
with whoever is going to be running the show in the, in the White House. Well, I'm not a political scientist, so I can't make any <laughs> uh, any really uh, good project projections about that. I guess I would say that, as I as I mentioned earlier, there's a uh, the public public opinion polls are running pretty strongly in favor of a. Uh, uh, believing in climate change, especially if you're looking at the younger generation, yep. some of the energy in some parts of the political campaign right now of the younger generation, they're very heavily engaged on this issue. So I think it's, um, well, we'll see. I mean, it's true. If the if one side wins, everyone on one side is, is in favor of rolling back uh, the climate agenda. So one of the things that my guess would be in, in the administration is that they're trying to lock in some long-term uh, uh, some long-term changes. I think on the leasing, I could see arguments on uh, any political side that it might make sense to revisit that in mm -hmm. terms of just uh, balancing the budget, getting the most, uh, getting the getting the most for bang for your buck. Now, uh, I guess it's a question if if um, the fossil fuel, uh, if you owe if you owe some uh, payback to uh, someone supporting your campaign, then uh, yeah. then you may have uh, you may have you you may have one one result or another. Overall, my general guess is that it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting if you just look at try to look at this objectively that it has not always been so that you had a unified Republican Party against a climate change uh, agenda. Yeah. Uh, the first President Bush signed the framework agreement that the current Paris Agreement has been negotiated under in Rio uh, 20 years ago or so, and you had um, uh, you and and was very uh, very. Um, Active actually on on certain kinds of new environmental legislation, uh, you had um, John McCain had supported a a, con a congressional level bill mm -hmm. on climate change, and so I'm not sure of all the reasons why. It might be that there are companies that really see them their existence threatened, and so having your existence threatened, if you're a coal company and going out of business, as we're just seeing, yeah. then you get motivated politically to say, sure. okay, let's stop this. But I think big picture, the, I think they're running up against a headwind. If you look at the Paris Agreement, you have, you have unanimous support in the whole world on the fact that climate change is an issue and yep. it's doing major damage. And so I think that you're going to the, – the general trend is in direction of uh, – is in the direction, I think, is not in a favorable cold direction, let's put it that way. Ian? Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, whoever wins in 2016, if they, I mean, sometimes the best they can do is go back to the old co-leasing method. Um, you know, that was done in, I think, as Eric said, in 1979, when, um, sort of right after the OPEC oil embargo, when we were really worried about how we were going to get our energy from, so there was a lot of um, hope to really get a lot of coal onto the market. And so even if the, the next um, president just goes back to the old one, I mean, that's, the, that's sort of, it's, you know, status quo in some sense. So I don't, yeah, I can't really see how this, how the new um, administration could make it easier than it currently is yeah. for coal. I, I guess then, is it is it your belief, Ian, that then, at least in the short term, that we'll probably see uh, more consolidation within the, within the coal industry and potentially some more bankruptcies as well pop up? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really tough to get to your economies of scale in terms of, you know, this is a production process that's heavily capital. You tend to try to run your machines, you know, 24 seven. Um, and so it's hard to get those economies of scale if there's not a lot of demand. And, you know, when you hear, when you get a lot of coal plant retirement announcements coming up or, you know, in the recent bids in the, um, in the MISO market, the, the mid, uh, Midwest market for capacity markets, um, a couple of coal plants didn't getting get into that and so they were announcing that they were going to retire mm -hmm. and so those you know that's a that's a big demand um 
uh, for the next 10, 15 years. And if they retire, then that, you know, that demand goes away. We're talking with uh, Ian Lang, who is uh, from the Colorado School of Mines, Assistant Professor of Economics, Eric Ortz from the Wharton School, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. We're talking about the uh, the story where the uh, White House has temporarily put a hold on coal leases uh, on public lands. Uh, Ian, I, I guess then for the industry then as a whole, uh, you do as much of a business as you can do within the framework of the leases that you already have is the hope, I guess, at some point that uh, even if they have to pay a little bit of a, of a higher rate, that the, that more leases will come on the market at some point? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a little hope there. I think the other hope is that there's some demand, some demanders are going to come into the market somewhere, right? So there's a lot of um, there was a lot of excitement about China, um, obviously, and perhaps that the Powder River Basin or the Western Coal Basins can start exporting into the Pacific market. Um, they're running into some political issues in expanding the coal export terminals on the West Coast and also getting the coal from Wyoming to the coast. Um, but, you know, China has at least made statements that they're going to, you know, max out their coal production. Um, and uh, it's not clear who would pick up the slack if China starts reducing their coal imports. Um, I know there there are people excited about India. Potentially, India could take up that slack. Australia, for example, is really trying to um, get in. Or the Australian coal mines are really trying to get into the Indian market mm-hmm. and hope to sell into there because they see the Chinese market sort of closing for them. Um, but yeah, I think the, the bigger thing is who's going to want this stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I also think that the political risks are pretty high. I mean, if you're talking about the U.S. exporting coal to China and India, it's going to open up a big target for environmental groups. Yep. I, I can see Greenpeace starting to follow the coal out the out the exports <laughs> and that sort of thing. So I think there's. I would be surprised if that's a if that's a likely scenario for 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 coal to continue. And in general, I think it's under. Uh, uh, it's under assault. Uh, you know, there's different metaphors used. Some people say there's a war on coal, but the other perspective is that uh, coal, when you burn it, assaults the climate. So if you just um, if you look at, at this problem long term and you look at the coal, the percentage of the climate change problem that seems to be that is caused by burning coal, I think long term you're eventually. I was thinking when coming in, Dan, that I was, if I'm lucky enough to have grandchildren, I think that you might be in a world where they look back and they say, uh, "Burning coal was sort of like riding horses." Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. That the technology revolution is <laughs> going to be right. coming. There's there's a huge <laughs> amount of investments going into the new energies, and it's going to be transitional. And there's going to be pain when you have major technological transitional change. Yeah. But I I think at least in the 50 year time range, I would not uh, put a long term investment in coal. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.